0: I think that music composition should be a kind of living, breathing art form that should be responding to the uh, material conditions of life around us right now. I don't think it's interesting to try to just kind of recreate music that was created in an entirely different time.
1: Welcome to Innovation Uncovered, a podcast from Invesco, QQQ, and T-Brand at the New York Times, about the ideas and discoveries that are driving our culture forward. From how we play, to what we consume, to how we connect. This episode, we're looking at music. Technology has made its way into almost every part of our lives today, and music is no exception. But how far should it go? Could something like artificial intelligence ever make art? I'm Corey S. Powell. I'm the former editor-in-chief of Discover Magazine, and as a science writer, I've covered everything from dark matter to the origin of life. And I'm joined by my fabulous co-host. Hi, Corey. Hi, Kristen.
2: Yes, I am Kristen Meinzer. I'm a culture critic and journalist. In this series, I'm out in the field, well, the virtual field at least, thanks to social distancing, reporting on the people and ideas that are reshaping so many aspects of our daily life.
1: We bring a little science and a little culture to conversations about innovations impacting our world today. So, Kristen, this episode, we're talking about music and we're talking about technology, and they're not two different things. In many ways, music history really is a history of technology. It made recording music possible, for one thing, without tech, there'd be no gramophones, no vinyl LPs, no cassettes, no CDs.
2: I love my gramophone.
1: (laughs) Oh, who doesn't love a good gramophone? (laughs)
2: And it's also really revolutionized the way people are making music, too. Maybe you've been to concerts, I mean, prior to the pandemic, Corey, where instead of guitars, drums, and keys, there were just a few laptops on stage. Everything you heard was all happening thanks to a computer.
1: You know, I came of age in the 1980s when synthesizer music was everywhere. It was all that dance pop, all that synth pop, and Mm -hmm. music and technology and sort of progress all seemed just totally wound together that these bands were making the sound of the future. I know there are a lot of people who are put off by it, but I love the idea that music is still evolving, that technology is still changing the way people are creative.
2: Exactly. And artists are now able to make music with digital synthesizers, MIDI keyboards, and specialized software. They're creating sounds that previous generations could not have even imagined. And in this episode, we'll be taking a look at two cutting-edge technologies that are pushing music and musicians even further. When I set off to explore this intersection of music and technology, I knew exactly the person I wanted to talk to.
0: My name's Holly Herndon, and I'm a composer and performer based in Berlin, Germany.
2: As I see it, or as I hear it, Holly is one of the most influential voices in this world. Over the course of her musical career, Holly has made four highly rated albums and earned a PhD from a program that encompasses both computer research and music composition. Holly grew up in Northeast Tennessee and started out the way a lot of musicians come to the art.
0: When I was younger, I started out performing in church choir and school choir, and then I was also taking guitar lessons and piano lessons like a lot of kids.
2: As a teenager, Holly moved to Berlin as an exchange student, and that's where she first experienced electronic music and club culture.
0: (laughs) So when I moved to Berlin, I... Deeply embedded myself in the club culture there. I was basically like a club kid for a couple of years.
2: But it wasn't until she moved to California and enrolled in an art school that she found her instrument.
0: When I started working with the laptop, that's when I really felt like I found my own voice as a composer, but also my own performative voice. I always say that one of my best attributes is that I have kind of a average voice, <laughs> <laughs> because if it was if I had, like, a fantastic voice, then I would never have maybe created all of the kind of digital layers that I've needed to make it sound special or more interesting. Holly is known for making what's been called laptop music. So, you know, when a composer sits down to write, often they'll sit down to a piano or maybe to a guitar or some, you know, people write in many different ways. For me, my starting point is with the laptop. So I also make some of my own software. And... It almost seems passe to say that now that I sit down and and start at the laptop because so many people do that now. But when I started, I guess, 15 or so years ago, that was, especially in the academy, that was this kind of like contentious thing of like, is a laptop really a valid instrument?
2: When I first heard the term laptop music, I imagined DJs on club stages staring into the blue glow of their screens, you know, lots of synths and electronic music but that's not really the kind of music Holly makes.
0: If I look at it from a wider time horizon and I think about my kind of origins of coming from singing in choirs and then moving on to the laptop and being obsessed with vocal processing, and essentially I think I was always looking for a way to transcend the limitations of my physical voice, By augmenting it with my computer and and digitally. So yes,
2: Holly uses a computer and lots of software and processing, but she also incorporates choral elements. You hear a lot of human vocals. And inhuman vocals. For Proto, her album that came out in 2019, Holly and her team built a very
0: special collaborator. So who is Spawn? Spawn is what we call our AI baby, and it's basically a metaphor for all of the experiments that we did using machine learning and music.
2: I love this child metaphor they chose for Spawn. And Spawn, quite simply, is an artificial intelligence that makes music with Holly. The
0: child metaphor really holds up. You know how people say it takes a village to raise a child, that that really this is like such a nascent technology that we see this as something that it takes a community of people to raise. It is trained on a community of people's intellectual work, and we hope that we can influence from an early start the kind of direction that this technology goes. Now, Holly isn't the
2: first musician to turn to an AI to make music. In fact, all the way back in 1957, a mathematician and composer teamed up to produce the first piece written entirely by artificial intelligence. Since then, computers have gotten more sophisticated, and other researchers and musicians alike have turned to AI to make music or write lyrics. But it's been done with varying success, and it's still not common. Holly's place in this goes even beyond the music. She's thinking deeply about the technology she uses, and in a way... The method is part of her art. So how does it all work? Well, to borrow Holly's metaphor, in a very basic sense, the way you teach a machine is similar to the way you teach a child. You give the machine information for it to analyze and understand and learn from, and like with any child, Holly and her team had to make big decisions about what to teach, spawn, and how. For an AI to learn, it needs a lot of information inputs. And so to build up that base of information, you could draw from anonymous databases of recordings, for example. You know, use hundreds of thousands of recordings of anonymous voices. But Holly and her team decided against that.
0: And that meant, you know, performing audio and recording audio with our ensemble to then train our AI. And we wanted to really keep it contained so that we could name and compensate everyone who went into training our models. They also decided to just teach Spawn using audio files. Often,
2: researchers train in AI using MIDI files. MIDI files don't actually contain any sound, though. They just tell a computer what sound to make. Instead, Holly and her team recorded thousands of sounds, including their own voices, and then Spawn takes those sound files and tries to understand the logic behind them, slicing up sounds sample by sample to figure out what should come next. In the end, Spawn responds with her own sounds that she's created based on what she's learned.
0: And what was really exciting about that is some of the sound material that we were getting really early on sounded really similar to some of the earliest recorded sounds. You know, using my imagination, I could really see how this could, you know, in several decades' time be super high fidelity, even though right now it still kind of has that scratchy early recording sound.
2: What Holly is referring to there is the sound that Spawn produced, based on her learnings. I would have assumed that it might sound digital or robotic, but really, it's more like an old, scratchy, analog sound. So, Spawn has a ways to go.
0: She's still very much a baby AI, after all. Usually, I feel like I have more control over my tools in the studio, and this was a situation where I felt like I had to just be more relaxed Mm -hmm. and kind of go with the flow. Holly explained
2: that as time went on, she felt a connection to some of the challenges Spawn had.
0: When you're dealing with something like spoken language, statistically speaking, when you pronounce a vowel like oo, often when you're making an oo sound, the sound sample by sample that comes next is also an oo, mm-hmm. whereas when you're saying like a T or a p sound, they're very short. So often the system would get stuck on vowels. And hearing things like that, even though it sounds like very nerdy and specific, Those were like really beautiful moments in the studio because I felt like I was understanding why she was getting stuck. I felt like I understood her logic. It felt like there was more of a closeness there or like an intimacy with that.
2: Making a full-length album with Spawn was an unusual experience. It's not often you have to actually teach a collaborator what music and language are before sitting down to compose a piece together. But Holly also found that in a way it was pretty similar to working with human collaborators.
0: You provide material and then that's interpreted through the performer, whether human or inhuman, in a way that's surprising and exciting. And you learn as a composer through that performance. So I think about AI as basically also a kind of sophisticated human coordination technique. It's just a more recent one, but it's really, I see it along a trajectory from, you know, early vocal techniques, early polyphonic singing, yeah, I'd, I don't see the laptop as this separate thing. I see it as part of this human intellectual project that we share.
1: Kristen, I've been interested in music and technology for a long time. Some years ago... I covered a project at MIT's Media Lab, where they were creating what they called hyper-instruments. These are enhanced instruments that make sounds that kind of go beyond what a normal acoustic instrument can do. And over the years, I've gone to a lot of different music and technology festivals. They're fascinating, but they do sometimes feel a bit like you're in the middle of a giant laboratory experiment. You're hearing unusual uh, sounds that are interesting because they're unfamiliar, but not necessarily beautiful. But what Holly's doing is very beautiful. It's very personal. It's very human. And it's, it's really, it's wonderful to hear technology being used that way.
2: I agree with you, Corey. I've been to some of those music festivals. I've been exposed to some of that kind of music. And sometimes it feels more like you're trapped inside a computer rather than connecting with other humans. And that's not what Holly's doing.
1: Right. It really feels like Holly is taking a brave stance as an artist, not just creatively, but also in a sense, economically.
2: Yeah. And speaking of the music industry, Corey, it is a big and powerful one. In 2019, recorded music alone generated more than $11 billion in revenue. That's an increase of 13% over the year before. And it's not an exaggeration to say that a lot of that growth is coming from the way tech is creating new ways to consume and enjoy music.
3: Invesco QQQ is an ETF built around a belief that everyone should be able to invest in the possibilities of innovation. By providing access to the NASDAQ 100, Invesco QQQ allows you to be part of the progress created for all of our futures. To learn more, talk to your advisor or visit Invesco.com QQQ.
2: Now, let's go a little deeper into how technology and algorithms are changing the way we listen to music. For that,
4: I want you to meet Lars. Yes, my name is Lars Rasmussen, and I'm currently co-founder and CTO of a music tech startup called Weave Music.
2: And just to be upfront here, Lars is not a musician. He's a technologist.
4: Well, I've been in tech for, what, three decades now? His
2: first success was mapping software that is now almost universally used. And so Lars is coming at music and tech a bit differently than Holly. In the most basic sense, Weave is a startup that uses proprietary software to alter the tempo of a song without changing its musicality. Lars calls this adaptive music. Recorded music has long been something that's static.
4: The first recording machines were invented in the 1870s, so like 150 years ago. And then there's been this tremendous progress in the record industry. It went from vinyl to CDs, then it was all digital downloads, and now it's all streaming, of course. But the concept of a record didn't change much throughout all that. A a record today. No matter how you get it, it's just as one static audio file. And all you can change when you listen to it is the volume. And that, we now believe, is really a restriction that comes from back when record players were mechanical devices.
2: So what Lars is saying is that unless you have the skills and technology to remix it or edit it yourself, your only choice is to listen to music as it was recorded and turn the volume up or down. When you speed up a song, it starts sounding high-pitched and squeaky. Like this. When you slow it down, it gets low and bassy. Like this. That is, unless you're listening with weave.
4: What happens when you change the tempo of music, it stops sounding like music. And we didn't quite understand why at the time, we're not from a music background, but we have some friends who are, and they explain, look, when an artist... And their team makes a song, the arrangement, the instrumentation, the genre, the vibe of the song is very much tied to the tempo.
2: And so Lars figured out a way to speed up and slow down music to match the mood or speed you need without sounding like chipmunks or someone trying to disguise their voice.
4: We're all familiar with this. If we hear an acoustic version, an acoustic cover of a song, that's typically slower than the original, that you might be a pop tune. But likewise, if you go to dance club and you hear a radio hit you're familiar with, you'd typically be listening to a dance remix that is faster. And, and then we thought, okay, so it'd be fun to build a thing, a new piece of software, where the listener can change the tempo of the song and whatever tempo you picked Our software would remix it.
2: To do that, he borrowed an idea from DJs who make remixes. DJs typically use something called stems. These are individual recordings of each instrument. The drums, the guitar, the piano, the vocals, the bass, the synthesizer, and so on. All of these recordings usually are mixed together to create the full song. But since they're recorded separately they can be altered separately too.
4: The listener can change the tempo of the song, and then the song changes its arrangement. It becomes a remix of itself on demand so that no matter what tempo the listener wants, it still sounds like a delightful piece of music. Following, by the way, the instruction of our producer friend, our software doesn't figure out what it should sound like. The artist tells our software what it should sound like, and then our software makes that happen in real time.
2: Right now, you can test this out for yourself with their app, Weave Run. The app registers how fast or slow you're running, or in my case, walking, using the accelerometers on your phone. They translate that pace into a BPM or beats per minute. And the song you're listening to in the app will speed up or slow down accordingly.
4: Go for a run, and the
2: music adjusts to your pace.
4: It's the soundtrack that that top-notch professional artists have carefully done for the movies that now, now can happen automatically in real time in your life as you're out running.
2: And for runners, it's an extra motivator to keep your pace and keep running. Or you can set your whole playlist to the pace and try to keep up. Oh, and I also noticed a pattern here. Remember how I mentioned Lars isn't a musician? Well... He also wasn't a runner before all of this.
4: I was not a runner at all when I got started. And now, little by little, you know, a lot of walking and a lot of walking and running in the beginning. But now I run a mile every day, at least. So I think I'm at... Wow. It, t- today was, it's going to be my 457th run in a row. Oh my
2: gosh. Every day. Now, that is impressive. But beyond inspiring people to get out and run more... Lars is also hoping to not just alter music after it's been recorded, but also change the way musicians think about writing songs.
4: The shift in mindset that we're trying to accomplish here is that the the fact that a record today, every time you listen to it, it sounds exactly the same. That we think of that as an unnecessary restriction on the artist that's not a feature to us, that's a bug. Oh. <laughs> and we're, we're, trying to, we're trying to fix that bug, that the record should not sound the same every time you play it. It should sound different based on all of the aspects of the context that we listen to it in it, and that's the way it should be.
2: He sees this as an asset for musicians and music lovers alike.
4: We're going to adapt the record, and we're going to try and make it really like a whole new era. In recorded music, which is a tall order. It's not going to happen overnight. But we think it's without a doubt the future of the recording industry that the record itself becomes adaptive. And actually, we believe in that so strongly that we think even if we fail, which we're not going to do, but even if we do, someone else will figure this out.
2: Personally, I find all of this fascinating. Holly is creating music with an AI baby she's training. Lars has built software that can seamlessly change the sound of a song without stripping it of its artistic integrity. And so we'll rocket toward the future of music created by artificial intelligence that's no longer static thanks to adaptive software. But is that a good thing?
1: Chris, all this technology and music, it's exciting and it's a little bit unsettling that so much is changing and that the role of the the artist as a creative force is changing. I'm just wondering, how does it make you feel? You've been immersed in it. You've been hearing a lot of it. Do you feel good about where music is going?
2: Well, I have to say, Corey, after talking with Lars and Holly, they make me feel a little optimistic about it compared to how I kind of went in being, I'll admit it, somewhat suspicious. Because You know, I was afraid that the technology that was being enlisted would eventually take the heart out of the music. But if anything, they're just finding new ways to bring the heart forward for us to connect better with the music and to build a bridge between technology and ourselves and other people.
1: I was thinking, you know, one of the pieces of technology that I rely on the most in life, in my creativity... One of the oldest pieces of technology around which is eyeglasses and people don't normally think of that as a technological enhancement but how much of my creative process sitting down and writing i wouldn't really be much used doing those things without that that basic piece of technology in a sense every art form is a form of technology from drawing on a cave to making the first musical instruments all these things were about pushing ourselves forward
2: So I also really wanted to pose the big question to the folks I was talking to. Is AI taking over music, and is that a good thing? And Holly has a similar perspective on this whole AI versus human debate.
0: AI is just us in aggregate. AI is a part of humanity. I don't see technology as a separate thing. I see it as something that comes out of, you know, human society. It's part of us. We made it. Technology should really free us up to be more human together.
2: I thought that was such a beautiful idea, that technology is helping us be more human together, not taking away the humanity of music. But Holly is still collaborating with Spawn, not just letting her run free and make music on her own. Yet, she's working with Spawn to explore what's interesting in her own creative process. But could an AI ever do it alone? To Holly, it depends on what kind of music you're talking about.
0: Yeah, I think we could whether or not that's what we really want is another question. I mean, already pop music kind of functions in this writing by committee way anyways, <laughs> you know. It's like <laughs> a lot of us don't know where a lot of these songs come from, you know. They'll have like 60 different people writing credits on some of the, the biggest songs that we hear. And of course that that will be cheap and will, you know, you'll be able to automate the process in a cost-efficient kind of way and I, so I I see people being interested in that, but Yeah, whether or not that creates the most interesting or fulfilling music is another question.
2: I posed the same question to Lars, and he had a more romantic vision of music as an art. He was skeptical it could ever really happen. He views what he's doing as more of a tool than a replacement for human interventions.
4: What we've invented is a richer canvas for the artist to make richer artistic experiences for their fans. And we've invented a bunch of paintbrushes as well to help the artist make those richer artistic experiences. I also think from maybe a philosophical point of view, I'm not sure it's a terribly good idea to have art made by computers and and AI. That's just my, my personal opinion. I think we should use computers and AI to do the work for us and so that we have more time to make art, but not the other way around.
2: Before we said goodbye... Holly gave me another perspective on the AI-human divide, specific to how she's been processing life lately.
0: The kind of day-to-day mood of living through a pandemic is something that I, as a human am processing in ways that I might not even be fully aware of the entire time. And then that kind of seeps through and and makes its way into my music. Our daily lived experience does find its way into the kind of music that we make, whether that be the kind of tonal palette that we use or the lyrics that we're writing. Of course, our our kind of lived experience finds its way in there. And I think that that's really beautiful. I think it it also can happen in ways that are really unexpected and in ways that I don't fully understand yet. I would say my biggest takeaway Away from this is that I really, really miss live performance and performing with my ensemble, and I will not take it for granted ever again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> from a strictly business standpoint, Lars has also noticed a difference in his work due to COVID 19.
4: Once lockdown started going into effect across the country, our daily run counts almost doubled just in the span of a wow. week. And even wow. you know, we, we can see that on our own team, you know, because outdoor running is one of the, one of the few remaining encouraged way to exercise. As the gyms have closed, as group exercising is just not safe right now with the with the virus out there. And so,
2: seeing that spike in interest, Lars and his team decided to make the app free for as long as the lockdown continues. Holly's Spawn AI and Lars's adaptive app are both making music that's helping them and others cope.
1: You're really making me think about how much music has meant to me during these past few weeks. We've all been in isolation. We've all been kind of cutting down our contacts. But being able to listen to music, being able to hear all the different genres, all the different types of creative voices out there. It's its boosted me. It's boosted my family. I know that's true for a lot of other people as well. It would be very hard to get through this if we didn't have music and we didn't have technology that was helping us get that music.
2: It's hard to imagine when we'll be able to actually safely go to a packed concert hall again or when a band will be able to get together to even record again.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a tough time for all kinds of creative people. It's a tough time for everyone, but hopefully... Artists and technologists will keep coming up with new innovations that allow them to make music, to communicate with us in ways that let us have access to those feelings, to all that beauty, wherever we are, whatever we're doing.
2: And I know once they do, you and I will be there listening.
1: Innovation Uncovered is a podcast from Invesco QQQ in partnership with T-Brand at The New York Times.
2: Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Innovation Uncovered wherever you get your podcasts, and tell your friends about the show. For the next episode, we'll be looking at aging and the technologies that are aiming to keep us connected as we get older. We've spent so much time looking at things like smoking and obesity, and believe it or not, some of the recent research
0: has demonstrated that loneliness or social isolation in particular may be just as damaging to our overall health and well-being as smoking. So
1: it absolutely plays a very big role in how we age. Thanks for listening. See you next time. And
4: on!
3: Innovation Uncovered is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. From tech innovators to lesser-known biotech and media companies, Invesco QQQ is more than just a tech fund. It's an ETF that allows you to access the NASDAQ 100, some of today's most innovative companies that are changing the world. To learn more about what this ETF can mean for your portfolio, visit Invesco.com QQQ. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies traded on the NASDAQ. You cannot invest directly in an index. Risks are involved with investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETFs are subject to risks similar to those of stocks. Investments focused in the technology sector are subject to greater risk and are more greatly impacted by market volatility than more diversified investments. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit investco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors Incorporated.